Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in a popular film franchise, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries Unforgrettable, covering all the films written by Greta Gerwig. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how's it going? I'm doing good, thank you. I would like to wish a warm ahoy sexy to you and to our guest. Wow. How are you doing, Emmett? I believe you had dental surgery mere hours ago, so... I did. I, I did. How are you? Well, you know, those painkillers are kicking in, baby. We're getting loose. We're getting... It's going to be good. It's going to be a good... I'm excited for the show. <laughs> You might you might hear a lovely laughing voice here, and uh, that's our special guest. She's an mm. actor, a writer, mm. and an artist, perhaps mm. best known to our audience for her role as the primary creative vision behind the hit 2019 film adaptation of Cats. Please welcome the Chisholm Awachi. <laughs> Chisholm, how are you? Not Cats. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I should mention it was... It was the butt edit. <laughs> Not the butt. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How are you both doing? I'm so excited to be here. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Chisholm, have, or have you previously watched any Greta Gerwig <laughs> films other than Frances Ha? Um, just Lady Bird. That okay. I watched last summer when everything was still very wild. And I was like, what am I going to do? I guess watch movies written by white women about white women and their mothers that was mm -hmm. as far as i got though cool and how do you feel about ladybird i think it was a really interesting look into a specific sort of like experience and mother-daughter relationship that was completely foreign to me mm. i mm. think i kind of did myself a disservice by watching it on netflix instead of watching it in the movies well at that point we mm -hmm. could not right yeah i think i would have appreciated it more and the emotional beats would have hit a little bit harder if it was like the only thing that i was focusing on oh, sure um but i had a little bit of trouble like connecting to it emotionally which i also kind of did with this film but we can mm -hmm. get to that cool when we get to that yeah right on i'm excited excited to get into all of that i had never seen this movie before um, had you had you ever seen this movie, either. Wade? You'd never seen it before, and Chisholm, this was your first time watching Francis Ha as well, first right? Time, yeah. So we're all newbies to this one. So this is the part where I'm supposed to give a three sentence summary of the plot. Basically, the plot of this movie is uh, this this young woman, Francis Halloway, is trying to navigate life and relationships in her mid twenties in New York. She at the very beginning of this film, her boyfriend who uh, asks <laughs> asks her to move in with him and she says no so he breaks up with her classic and then immediately after that her roommate who also eh, uh <laughs> is like is like oh by the way i'm i'm leaving i'm not gonna we're, we're not gonna have this apartment together anymore and so then she's basically for the rest of the movie bouncing around from apartment to apartment trying to find a new living situation while also being like Oh, I feel unfulfilled as a dancer and the dance company that I work for doesn't like want me to be a professional, like full-time professional and like all of those sort of fears and foibles of being a, a young struggling artist in the city. And it ends with her getting an apartment. Amazing. An apartment for herself. What she a, did get an apartment. What a happy, what a win. I mean, and, and that really was like, 
I, I mean, there's other there. I mean, we can get into the whole movie, but but like it really is. It's like wow, so nice. Like watching somebody who really needs to get an apartment and they get an apartment. I love it. I it's like it's very it's very much something that we have struggled with over the past three years. Yeah. It's like finding places to live when it's not provided for you by either your parents or the school you're going to. It's a real pain in the ass. No joke. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was actually that was one of the things that made me more stressed than any of the other conflicts in the in the film that I was just like this girl doesn't have anywhere to live. Yeah. Her parents are on the other side of the country. So even if they could help, they can't mm. really. Mm-hmm. But she also mm. like almost didn't seem as concerned about it as I was. So I was just like, can you, can you just, <laughs> there's one very real problem <laughs> right here. Please focus <laughs> on that problem. So I was very relieved when she got the apartment at the end. Although it's not really clear. Also, let's, let's be, be clear. It's not clear how she got the apartment. Or, like, That's where she got true. the money to pay for that apartment or any of that stuff, really. I'm assuming the the dance company that she ended up mm. working for, I guess, paid her enough to live on her own in New York. Right. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, wait, would you give us the stats on this film, please? Uh, yes, absolutely. This film was directed by Noah Baumbach who we'll get into more a little bit later, but it's his seventh film. His film right before this was Greenberg, which came out in 2010, which also starred Greta Gerwig, uh, along with Ben Stiller, who's the lead of that movie. This movie was written by Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig together. It was edited by Jennifer Lame. We don't talk about editors a lot on this podcast, but I just wanted to call her out because um, she's someone who just recently kind of broke into the mainstream. But she's been uh, Noah Baumbach's editor for forever. And she also edited the two Ari Aster films, uh, Hereditary and Midsummer. And then uh, last year, she edited Tenet. And Chris Nolan what? has like always worked with one editor, and he like he was like I need a change of pace, and like broke away from his editor and went to Jennifer Lame, whoa, who was like I do like small dramas, and he was like No, I love your stuff. Like you're the one I want for this. Um, so she just had kind of like <laughs> this crazy right? banner year. So I wanted. I believe that's also what uh, Kenneth Branagh said to uh, Christopher Nolan when he asked him to be in that movie. <laughs> I only do small dramas. Like Thor. Uh, this movie runs one hour and 26 minutes, which, again, I, mean, I think we're just taking it for granted, but we're so blessed to have oh, these short movies. Oh, yeah. It was released May 17th, 2013 by IFC Films, a summer film, huh. a budget of $3 million, which means it would have needed to make about six to break even. The film made $11 million. Hmm. So it was indeed a success. It was also critically acclaimed. It has an 82 on Metacritic, which makes it the highest reviewed movie we have ever covered on this podcast. (laughs) Coming in with a strong C. (laughs) Greta Gerwig for her performance was also nominated for Best Actress at the Golden Globes. And the movie was nominated for Best Picture at the Independent Spirit Awards and the British Independent Film Awards, but received no love from the Oscars or the BAFTAs. Ugh, the Oscars. Exactly. But also, ew, at the Golden Globes? Um... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, truly. (laughs) My review quote is from Ben Kennisberg at the AV Club. Mm Mm-hmm. 
who wrote, Above all, Francis Ha is a wry and moving portrait of friendship, highlighting the way that two people who know everything about each other can nevertheless grow apart as their needs change. The movie makes the subtly optimistic point that the life you build in youth is always available. Friendships may change, but true friends will adapt. That's really nice. And that is what I appreciated the most about the film. Yeah, that look at the yeah. end that she shares with her friend is really sweet. It gets, it gets yeah. Me. I even I almost missed that she referenced it earlier on, but then I was like, oh wait, no, that's the thing. That's so sweet. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, she does. That she's is like, the thing she's the talking about thing. in the monologue. Yeah, yes, that very long. Maybe it wasn't actually long. Like if I went back and timed it, but it felt very long. Mm. Anyway, I remembered it. Which which is a win, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was the point of the movie, the dinner scene, where it was kind of the most... The pacing was the weirdest. It had uh, been, like, the longest yeah. since anything has happened and just wasn't really giving you a lot. But I didn't point. understand why it was happening, honestly. I appreciated the monologue, but oof. Yeah. Hey, was it, like, painfully awkward for you to watch? Oh, my God. It was so... It was so awkward. <laughs> It was so awkward. I don't do well with comedies that rely on... I get secondhand embarrassment very easily, mm. and I feel it very hard. So sitcoms are not always my thing. But mm. just listening to Francis talk to people over the course of this film <laughs> made me feel like I needed to hide underneath a blanket. Yeah, was <laughs> this a horror he... movie for you? <laughs> A little bit. She just would. She just kept going, and people like weren't with her. And I was like, "Girl, just just take a breath. It's okay." I guess it's kind of. It's it was kind of nice and like kind of empowering because she was definitely like her full self all the time, mm. which I thought mm-hmm. was actually very impressive. But that dinner scene, she just kind of kept going and going and going, and I was like just <laughs> fade out please at some point which she does but it took it took a while for her to get there so we've already kind of gotten into it a little bit but to just jump to our our listener our our single listener's favorite section of this whole this whole franchise Chisholm with Francis Ha flop or bop oh my god it took me several days to figure this question has been haunting me since you guys sent me that email <laughs> oh, no. um I was like oh no <laughs> Is it a, is it a flop? Is it a bop? Ah, um, I, think, <laughs> I think I focused on 60, 40 flop bop. Mm. Um, the 40% was because I didn't realize that the film really was about um, a close friendship and like a close female friendship and how those relationships change over time until like halfway through and once i realized that that was you know one of the driving forces of it i appreciated it a lot because in pop culture that isn't something that we get often certainly not like female friendships there are a lot of different like tv shows but when it really comes down to especially talking about like the conflicts that arise in female friendships i haven't seen anything like that since what this past season of insecure Um, And so it's something that's been on my mind for the past year or so. And I really appreciated that it went there and just like showed these two people who do know basically everything about each other and are so close. It's a little scary, but like scary in a good way, just like how things can change so quickly, but how you sort of like weather those changes. The flop was the secondhand embarrassment. 
and how much Francis <laughs> just would talk and talk and not realize that people were not always on her wavelength. Mm -hmm. And I also just didn't understand why she was the way that she was. <laughs> yes. So that is what, that is fair. where I am <laughs> so presently. That's where I got after a lot of like soul searching and unnecessary stress. <laughs> yes, that's true. Right on. So once again, we have had a, a, a guest uh, basically reject our binary system <laughs> of flopper bop, but that's excellent. We, we love to hear all perspectives here. Wait, flopper bop. I think it was a, a bop for me. I would say if we're giving statistics, it was like 80 bop, 20 flop okay. in my book. I really liked and was surprised by how many specifics of being a struggling college graduated artist mm -hmm. in your late 20s that this movie got right. It also made me kind of think like this movie was made eight years ago and it still feels exactly like my experience, which makes me wonder if like the um, pace of change is a little bit more stalled than it used to be mm. in terms of mm. a lot of these artist structures. Mm. But anyway, I was really surprised by that. And I also, having now seen a good chunk of Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach movies, I could really like see both of their voices very clearly in this movie which was a cool melding of the two uh emmett did you think francis ha was a flop or a bop i thought it was a bop i'm not going to get into percentages because i can't really i don't really know but i do think it was a i do think it was a bop the dinner scene made me so uncomfortable that i like found myself just like subconsciously like going and like looking at my phone because i couldn't handle <laughs> watching the screen and i didn't even realize like that's why i was doing it but I, for most of these movies i've been really good about like being with the movie uh, and like not being on a phone and for this one it was like only for that scene but i was just like in i was like i gotta do something else um so that was interesting this character reminds me a lot of my sister and a lot of the situations remind me of a lot of situations that i've been in so like between those two things it was like very endearing to me mm -hmm. it was like i recognize a lot of like the setups as being things that have happened to me or like to people in my life and like the character is like almost exactly caroline my sister so you know that's sweet i think to wade's point that like i haven't seen any of the noah bombach movies but i her voice even from like hannah takes the stairs the weird monologues that she has in hannah takes the stairs are like fleshed out more in this movie and like the thing that she's talking about wanting to do in that movie is like more almost realized in this movie finally as like kind of mm. being the thing yeah i like it how do you feel about like this movie as um like as a as a representation of that mid-20s artist thing and how it fits how it jives with your experience yeah i appreciated it as this sort of snapshot into what being an artist not right out of undergrad but just out of undergrad looks like mm -hmm. um i really appreciated that nobody ever suggested to francis that she should maybe go to grad school um because that is <laughs> <laughs> almost exclusively been my experience even before i got into <laughs> undergrad anyway i i felt a little called out by the whole apprentice company <laughs> member <laughs> because oh man it was just a little close because it was just like okay you're actively trying to work towards a career preferably with this dance company that you really appreciate and it doesn't 
and they just are not as invested in your career as you are invested in a career with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also liked how Frances wasn't necessarily like a great dancer. She wasn't bad. She wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just appreciate that because I feel like a lot of stories about artistry, the protagonist is somehow like the best of the best. And then there are just other random conflicts that they have to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't matter that she was super talented or not talented at all because she was, in- it was something that she was interested in and working toward. I also kind of appreciated Vassar, like for a hot second, that they were there over the summer because mm-hmm. um, I looked mm-hmm. it up and I know that Noah Baumbach did go to Vassar for undergrad. And I think if they had maybe spent a little bit more time there or if I just understood what being at Vassar was like, I might have gotten a better, like a closer insight into Francis as a character. And I guess Sophie also. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my older sister recently about Schitt's Creek because she, I think, has only just started, no, I think she's finished the whole series by now. And she pointed out that a lot of the characters or David and Alexis were very Yale educated white students who behave a certain way. Like she, she, she remembered those characters from her being at Yale in undergrad, which I thought was very interesting because it was nothing like, you know, my college experience having gone to Cornell. And so I was thinking that maybe if I had been around Vassar artsy film people mm. I might have gotten a better understanding as to why Frances talks the way she does and the dinner scene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it kind of feels a little bit 2013 in that way too that mm. I I mean I wasn't around those people but I remember in pop culture there being like really like the quirky girl the quirky humor sort of thing the mm. like so totally random sort of thing and this movie isn't like exactly doing that but I feel like the style of humor uh, sort of like the klutzy like stumbling over her words sort of thing is a little mm. bit the style of the time too and over her feet yeah yeah <laughs> well okay so this is what i one of the two things that i got into for cultural context so i'm just going to get into it right now because it's you bring it up it is and i i hesitate to even use the term because we know the term is like not great but the term is manic pixie dream girl and how this film is engaged with that archetype is not presenting that archetype, but is in some way engaged in like dancing around that archetype. Um, so here's, I've just got a couple of things for those who, uh, for those listeners who are not aware of the, the manic pixie dream girl archetype. It was a term first coined by Nathan Rabin. He said it about Kirsten Dunst in the 2005 Elizabeth town. And he said at mm-hmm. the time that he was coining a phrase for a thing that uh, for an archetype that is goes way back, but he just like was the first one to put it in those terms. And he said this character exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. So the idea is it's this it's a female character whose sole purpose in the film is like about the male character's journey. But specifically, they're quirky and fun and weird. And then this this term gets kind of like twisted around and people are like, oh, well, anyone who's quirky and fun, any girl who's quirky and fun on film is a manic pixie dream girl. And it like then like the term itself becomes like used as a shorthand for just any female character basically in film that you don't that you don't like as a critic whether or not there's any actual substantial criticism so when the original critic uh made up the term he was criticizing 
he was criticizing it, but then later people like other directors were like, Oh, that's a great idea. I would love to put Manic Pixie Dream Girls in my work. And then there's of course the work that dismantles the Manic Pixie Dream Girl idea, like 500 Days of Summer. Uh, is like one that gets toted a lot, but whether or not that Wade asked earlier off cast, like whether or not that actually successfully dismantles the concept or not is still up for debate. Um, but I think there's some, there's some interesting quotes here from some uh, other people about it. So Zoe Kazan said, I think that to lump together all individual original quirky women under that rubric is to erase all difference. I think that's a valid point. Um, Cat Shuffle at the cut said it had become sexist. The term itself, um, it was leveled, levied criminally at Zoe Deschanel, the actual person. How could a real person's defining trait be a lack of interior life? Um, so I think it gets especially messy. And this is all in the same time period. Like, so he first coins it in two thousand seven, and by twenty fourteen, he writes a he writes an apology on Slate for ever having come up with the term. And it's like, I regret this. This was a bad thing. Like, I don't use this anymore. We should put put it away as a society. So this movie like falls like right on the tail end of that. And she is like a manic pixie dream girl who has an inner life and has like whose journey is her own and has nothing really. I mean, there's men in her life, but it doesn't really have to do with the men in her life. She's like, what if that character did have an inner life, but was still quirky and wild and weird and funny and like loved life, but it just like wasn't in service of some man's like hero's arc journey. Also relevant to this term is the algorithm defined fantasy girl, which is a very exciting term example. This is a girl who is not actually a real human person, but a robot or other sort of magical construct. So examples of this character archetype would be spy kids. 3d would be Ana de Armas's character in 2049. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 or uh, the or Scarlett Johansson's character in her um, the computer character. And I think uh, this wasn't listed online, but I think maybe the character in Ex Machina is an inversion of that of like that archetype in some way. So all interesting stuff. I think this movie is engaged with that somehow, but I don't know. I don't know. As someone who's yeah, been accused of being I a manic pixie dream boy. I don't know. It's, uh, Whoa, it is what? a thing. That's also a term that exists as well. Does it also depend on the person or character not having an inner life either? It Why does. Why would you call a real human being that? Well, right. Yeah. Oh, I meant. That's okay. Um, I did appreciate, you know, even though she was so, so quirky, so clumsy, so painfully, just fully herself all the time. I um, was pleasantly surprised that Adam Driver's character was not like a big, like a main love interest actually mm. at all, because mm. they met first before, um, before Michael Zegan's character came into, came into the picture. And so I was expecting that, you know, she would just find another guy to partner up with, but the whole story was really just about her trying to figure out her life and her, and her relationship with Sophie, which I think is still, which is a platonic relationship. But Francis and Sophie are definitely the the love interest in the film, which is not something mm-hmm. that you see often. Yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Also pleasantly surprised that I don't think like Francis and Benji were supposed to get to get. I'm not sure what where they were like by the end of the film when everybody mm-hmm. came to see to see her show. But I also appreciated mm-hmm. that again, like whoever you thought her love interest was going to be, the film like purposefully just like took a left from that and it was just about francis and sophie 
I was I was going to say that the experience of going back to teach summer camp at the college that you graduated mm. from is one that is very close to my my own heart, my own experience. Luckily, mm. I think I had a better time of it than she did there. But yeah. the Wade also has some experience with that as well. I don't know, Chisholm, if, have you ever gone back to do any summer camps? No, and I don't think I ever will. Although... <laughs> They would have to pay me a lot of money and like pay for my flight before I went back mm-hmm. to Cornell to go do anything. But after I wrote um, the this Medium article about my experience in the department, one of my friends who is a graduate student in the same theater department um, has asked me if I would speak to a couple of her classes. She teaches um, freshman writing seminars like within the theater department. And I think she's studying right now. She's teaching a class on manifestos. And she was like, hey, would it be okay if I added your Medium article to the syllabus and if, you know, the students could read it and if you would uh, come and speak to them. So I'm going to be doing that. I did it a few months ago, I think just right after I published the article, but she asked me to do it again at the end of the month. That's so, so cool. I don't know if that counts, kind of. At least I don't physically have to go to Ithaca right now. Can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> No, I think that's more, much more legit than what <laughs> Francis is doing. I do have that experience. I also have the experience of being like too old to still be there. Mm. Um, like not as much as Francis was in this movie, but I have the experience that she has with the girl where the girl is like 20 and she's like already graduated and doesn't go to the school anymore. And she's just like too old. She's doing the thing that everyone else did like five years ago. Yeah. I think right after I gra- I think the year after I graduated, I went back for homecoming. Mm-hmm. And even though like I still had friends who were still students there, it was already too weird. I was like, I can't do this. I can't imagine like being an adult like with a whole family and going back to my alma mater for for like homecoming or anything really. I was just like, I'm out of place. I feel ancient. I could not imagine like going there and having somebody like ask like, oh. When did you graduate? And having to tell them that it was ages ago. Mm-hmm. I'm also about to turn 26, like in a few days. And oh my God, it's a very weird thing to say out loud. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I've done it. It's not so bad. I did it just a few months ago. <sighs> Still here. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a shorthand list earlier of some of the other specific moments I related mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. So you can see what you guys think. I'll skip over the ones that we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the drama of knowing your lease is going to end and the impending doom of what's going to happen then (laughs) not being able to pay for all of your rent. And so paying a shorted version while other people are picking up the slack interning, which we obviously all, all have experience (laughs) with and can talk to. Maybe we shouldn't though. (laughs) Oh, here's, here's one. People asking you to perform when you tell them what you do. That's oh like my God. such a I specific was so thing. Mad. I was like, do not ask her to di- right now. You're going to ask her to dance right now. That I, happens I all the time. Oh Especially God. if you say, I, I mean, I never say, say this, but I hear this all the time when people are like, I'm a singer. They're like, well, let's hear a song or like, you know, whatever, any creative profession. People are always like, let's see it. I stopped telling people that I sang to be fair. I haven't done it like in a couple of years now, but like around mm-hmm. extended family. Oh no, you don't know anything about what I can do. Please don't make me do it on the spot. I don't know. This is, I mean, this is somewhat related is 
whenever I would tell people when I worked on the boat with my dad and I'd see like a ton of tourists every day and they would be like, Oh, so what are you doing? Are you like going to follow in the family business? And I'd be like, no, actually I'm a theater artist and doing this, that and the other. And then he'd be like, ah, can't wait to see you in Broadway. And I'd be oh like, my God. it's just, you know, it's like, I guess, thanks for the support. I guess. Yeah. I, I'm, I guess. I mean, now when I do tell, when I, follow up with you know like old friends and stuff mm-hmm. um and i tell them that i'm still acting they're always just like oh my god you should reach out to tyler perry and i you know <laughs> close personal <laughs> friend sorry. tyler perry yes exactly we're in georgia tyler perry yeah that's exactly how that works and i <laughs> i wish it would stop catching me off guard because i still don't know how to respond to it i'm just like oh uh yes Sure. Thank you. <laughs> but never like Tyler Perry doesn't have writer's rooms. Like Tyler Perry could do a lot in Atlanta or like a little bit more than he's doing, but he is not. So when it comes down to like early career actress, Tyler mm-hmm. Perry, maybe not. <laughs> well, we did live next door to him for a year. So maybe we could. Uh... Oh, my God. We did. We and could... you know what? <laughs> He's coming on the pod soon, so we'll just mention your name. He keeps texting me. He wants to do white chicks, so whenever we get to that, we're going to have him on. Whoa. Would I watch Tyler Perry's white chicks? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I wonder if that film still holds up, actually, because I remember it being very funny when I was 10... (laughs) <laughs> but now maybe not as long as he can get terry cruz back to sing oh yeah um whatever that song was probably not but at this point into the pandemic my standard for what i'll watch is so low <laughs> i would watch tyler perry's batman i would i would watch anyone do anything at this point so i have written down here as far as relatable content that uh-huh. time she made a cake <laughs> As being like a time that happened. I mean, like, oh, remember that? That remember that? No, it's just like they just talk about it. I was like, oh, I did something that time. I made a cake, and I was like, yes, because yes, the time that you made a good meal is like that time. It's not like a thing that you do every day in your twenties. It's just like, oh, once upon a time, I did that. Every now and then, you you Mm. cook something that you actually enjoy eating. Absolutely. Um, I also wrote down the feeling of getting a check in the mail and having to blow it immediately. <laughs> that also made me really sad. Oh my god! I was just like, because she just what was it? Uh, tax rebate or something? Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, no, no, save that. But then I also remembered that like this girl barely has anywhere to live. Like she she has food. She needs to eat food. Like of course you're just going to have to spend the money that you make immediately. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad that the universe has decided I will not be moving out of this house for who knows how many years because even more stressors I could not imagine. But it's actually mm-hmm. very funny. Like anytime that I'm just like, yes, I can move out and find this apartment and move in with this person. Something happens and it just does not work out. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me just stay in this house with my whole family and just see what happens. Last summer, I was living in a shed in my parents' yard, and next summer, uh, I will probably be doing the same thing. <laughs> so I feel like... Not a shed, Emmett! Come on! Uh, 
Yeah. I had a I had a couple more. Okay, the the feeling of coming home for Christmas, oh. and like mm-hmm. that specific feeling of sort of being in a different place, and like all mm-hmm. of your other, and like feeling like you're ten years younger again, and like all of your other stuff you're dealing with, like just stopping, yeah. and then like starting immediately back as soon as you get back. Yes, it made me appreciate those like the Christmas breaks back home like when I was in college because it is just kind of like everything stops and for several weeks you don't really have anything to worry about I was half Mm -hmm. expecting her parents to like get on her about you know what she's doing with her life but that didn't happen like she was home she had a good time she she met up with like friends from high school and then she went back to New York and I was just like wow that is a really interesting it almost didn't have to be a montage like, I understand, I think I understand, like, why it was, because it also kind of speaks to how the time passes, both, like, very quickly mm. and very slowly. But mm. it also would have been nice to have, like, I don't know, more more in-depth moments, just kind of, like, how it was a supportive, like, environment for her. And it was, like, a break from all of the other very concerning things that she had to deal with when she was in New York, primarily that she didn't have anywhere to live. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah. Those were her real parents, by the way. I was wondering. It's also her real Unitarian Universalist church oh, that they shoot in. It's the I church she grew up in. I was wondering about that. That Super was very sweet. interesting. I love the little kids singing. It's so sweet. Oh, there's a moment. I don't remember when it is, but she. I th- oh, I think it's in the in the early in this in the movie when she's like breaking up with her boyfriend, and she gets a phone call and immediately switches out of like whatever she's been in with him and is like totally bubbly and happy on the phone. Oh, when Sophie calls her. When Sophie calls, yeah. and I was like, "That's incredible. That's so like putting on the face for other people, but also maybe mm-hmm. it's because her friends like actually brings her up too at the same time." Yeah, really I was cool. thinking that that might have been. Um, I was thinking that it was like genuine her being so excited that Sophie was calling because she was more than happy to spend all of her time with Sophie. So I thought mm-hmm. it was a really cool insight into like who Frances was as a character and how she felt about her well, ex at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also thought it was funny because I've definitely had, I've had breakups that were like uncomfortable in the moment. And like five minutes afterward, I was just like, oh, I am fine. Let me go hang out with, these other people Mm -hmm, (laughs) so mm -hmm. i connected to her on that point because i was like oh it's very clear that like these sophie is on the phone and sophie is someone who she would do anything for and love so much and this dude in front of her why were they dating in the first place i don't know glad (laughs) she's out of that relationship (laughs) oh for real he's like i bought a cat and you should move in (laughs) he bought two because every cat needs a cat buddy. That's what he says. That's true. I mean, I mean, my girlfriend did, uh, Jewel, Julen, uh, she did buy two cats. She went to buy one and bought two. So, you oh, know, no. that's, that is kind of like how that wow. happens. A cat buddy. I don't think, I don't <laughs> think I could do that. I don't, I'm also just not a cat person in general. I've realized recently um, I have a need for certain boundaries that cats just reject, and that is fine. Mm-hmm. It does mean that I don't think I'll ever actually be able to have a cat. But mm. starting off in a movie with this man who was like, I bought two cats, and you need to move in with me, or we're uh-huh. ending the relationship. I was like, oh no, this is a risky <laughs> way to start this film off. <laughs> uh, 
I think the structure of the film is kind of interesting. I'm sort of just formulating this thought about it here in the moment. Mm-hmm. But like you get kind of like the up montage of her and Sophie at the beginning where it's like two minutes and you see like almost like a year in the life of them living together of them, like doing everything together and being happy and like being out in the park and being in every corner of their apartment and doing everything together. And so in that way, it feels like that's sort of like a year in the life of her and Sophie. And then like the rest of the movie is like a year in the life without Sophie. Mm Mm-hmm. And it actually feels like a year. Like, to me, at least, this movie felt so much longer than 80 minutes long because of, like, yeah. how much stuff that happens, the very wildly different situations and relationships she finds herself in. So it, it felt to me much like, uh, much less like a movie where a protagonist is trying to get something and then gets it, and more just like, a slice of life of like a long period of time in this girl's life. Yeah. And I do appreciate slice of life type films, or at least I think Mm. I do. Half of the (laughs) projects that I am attempting to write right now are kind of closer to that. So I did appreciate um, that, but I also did Mm -hmm. want not a more specific conflict because there were a few, but maybe one that, uh, held the character's attention a bit more. Mm, mm. Um, but I also think, like, for this specific character, like, the whole conflict is, like, her life and relationships that are important to her. So, like, her career and this very close friendship and bo- how both of those things are changing and are not maybe as satisfying as she hoped that um, they would be. So I did appreciate it, but at the same time, it it definitely did feel, like, longer than 80 minutes. I also feel like, I don't know, in the past year, so so little has happened like in the daily personal life. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, it's like you forget how long a year is or like how much can happen in a year, like not how long mm-hmm. it is. Cause I think we've had a real intimate understanding of how long a year can be, but, <laughs> but like how much, how many different things, how many different lives you can live in a single year, like how many different mm-hmm. people you can be in over the course of a year. Um, which is something I definitely experienced in my two years in Atlanta felt like I lived like I was 13 different people like while I was there, you know, and like, I don't know, I think this year I've been mostly just one person because not not much is going on. Uh, But I think there's like, there's something to like, oh, yes, like all that stuff could happen in a year. And now that year has been condensed into 80 minutes, but it still feels like a year. Wait, yes. What do you have for us? About the dirty details of the behind-the-scenes drama. Tell me what you would like first. I've got a little bit on, like, the actors, and we can kind of talk about them. And then I've got just a little bit behind-the-scenes stuff. Let's start with the actors. I want to hear I, I want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay. I've just got a couple notes on people. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Sophie, her mm-hmm. best friend, is played by Mickey Sumner, who is the daughter of the musician Sting. What? So what? now mom... Go and watch this movie. You'll like it a lot. My mom is Sting's number one fan. So go and watch it because this movie will make you cry, I know. Similarly, Rachel, who is her like other friend that she lives with for a while, uh, who's the other dancer in the company, is played by Grace Gummer, who is the daughter of Meryl Streep. What? Just throwing those out there. Any thoughts on Sophie or Grace performances in this movie? 
Um, I thought Grace was interesting because she kind of like she was the good one, like she was the very strong dancer. I think, mm-hmm. um, and I also think it was interesting the the scenes that they had together. I, if I remember correctly, when Francis wanted to like do that play fighting thing in the park, and Grace was like, <laughs> or Rachel was like, "Please no!" Like, what do you do? <laughs> I I really appreciated kind of like how obviously Francis is a very particular person and Rachel is not that kind of person. So just Mm -hmm. putting them in the same place where Rachel is still trying to be like a friend to her as far as like offering housing. um, I just thought it was very interesting because I felt more like Rachel in most of those moments when they were together and just like, who is this person? What are they doing? I think I appreciate (laughs) it, but I don't understand it. Emmett, you seemed a little so-so on Sophie at the beginning of the pod. Well, I, yeah, because I think she does her friend dirty in Mm. the beginning. And I think she is like, I don't think she is a very good friend. I don't think we see her being a very good friend. Agreed. You can tell that there's like a lot of, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of chemistry that you can tell that she loves uh, Francis, but she doesn't always like act on that love in the way that you wish that she would. I think she's an, I do think she's like, I think it's a compelling arc. I think that whole thing of like having a friend who is dating somebody who you're just like middling on that person that they're with, but they seem to really, really like that person. And like the, the trouble of that, like your best friend is with somebody who you're just like, okay about. And like, you want the world for that person. And I don't know. That's like a really, that's a really interesting dynamic and like watching them drift apart kind of over that and kind of over other, other things as well. I like her performance a lot. So I don't want to, I don't want to get these two things confused. I don't like her character very much, but I think the performance Mm -hmm. is very good. And like, that's why it works. And I still like the ending. And I still think it's very sweet when they have that connection. It feels to me almost like the, that end of the movie is like, welcome to the next phase of life. Like welcome Mm -hmm. to like, you've been living young, just out of college adulthood now let's get into like young real person adulthood or something like like we're not eating we're not gonna eat ramen like six nights a week anymore like we're gonna have we're gonna like get a suit and wear that suit to things now (laughs) like you know we're it's it's like that sort of we're like where we've leveled up and like everybody in the room has leveled up um in that last scene i think that's Hmm. that's really cool too i'm looking forward to that part of my late 20s and i don't think it has hit yet oh boy (laughs) I appreciate that. I I I agree that like the character of Sophie was not a great friend and it was also kind of it made me kind of sad to like watch Francis kind of go through this um not really understanding where she stands with this one person that she cares about very much. Um I wish they of course it's more interesting for them to not have, you know, sat down and had a conversation about, you know, where they were in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely made me want to just be like, okay, Francis, either let her know exactly how you're feeling, or maybe this friendship, like, doesn't need to be a thing. Um, but I appreciated just, you know, being able to see it, even though it wasn't super satisfying for me in that way. Um, because like I said earlier, like, there there isn't a whole lot of space for that in, in culture and, like, TV and film. Um, seeing these seeing female friendships kind of like be tested and it does it did seem like it ended optimistically with them both sort of reconnecting and um, maybe having to do the work that they weren't doing before to figure out where their lives fit together 
But yeah, I appreciated Mickey's performance, but Sophie, Sophie made me very sad, especially right at the beginning when she was like, oh, I'm moving in with my boyfriend, bye. That's something that they really needed to communicate about. Like that's mm-hmm. something like friend or not, talk to your roommate, you know, before just deciding that you're not going to renew your lease. I was I was stressed about the cat thing and the boyfriend, and then I was stressed about the housing, and I continued to be stressed about the housing until the end of the movie. <laughs> well, I thought I was also this is also about the end. There is like I thought a lot about like you know she spent a year in Japan right with her fiance um, mm-hmm. Sophie did, and it it made me think a ton about how like when you're especially when you're in your early twenties or when you're in your teens and like people that you love like go somewhere far away geographically far from you mm-hmm. you're like that's it mm-hmm. like i'm never gonna see him again like this that this is a tragedy like our our friendship is basically over um and like life as i know it is now completely different i've mm-hmm. definitely experienced that with wade when wade went to scotland like mm-hmm. like now as like having some distance and some perspective on it i realize how much more cyclical life is and how mm-hmm. you you wind up seeing people um and sometimes you wind up seeing the same people the same part of the year every year and you like you have people have seasons in your life and just because somebody is in your life and then they're gone that doesn't mean they're not going to come back and once again be important in your life um Mm. in in perhaps a new and different way but i think that there's like so much catastrophizing in like the late teens and early 20s about like if i don't if i'm not like 100 with this person now it will never Mm -hmm be that way again and it mm-hmm. i think it's just hopeful that there is some sort of cyclicalness to to life like that mm. i think i thought for most of the movie that sophie was just sort of like a friend who cared the friend who cared less about her mm-hmm. like that she had in some way misread the relationship and then when they're in sort of like what felt to me like the climax of the movie when they're like in their old college dorm bed together mm-hmm. and Sophie's like I've always been so competitive with you mm-hmm. I was like that was really interesting and that re-clarified especially a lot of the middle section of the movie when she's with Patch and she's saying things like maybe one day I'll come visit your apartment or you know like she's sort of doing all of this mm. like status signaling and like a lot of her relationship is based on that that's I don't know. Fair. And I thought that was interesting. Now that you say that, it seems like a weird thing for Sophie to have, like, maybe she also misread the relationship. I mean, one thing that I don't mm. think Francis as a character would care about is, like, status as a modern dancer in New York City trying to make this thing work. Yeah. She doesn't seem like the type of person to compare, you know, apartments and, like, furniture and, and, and like, art pieces with. Um, mm-hmm. she very much just seems to go with the flow. So it was interesting how like you can both you can be very close to someone, but also have one idea of where you both are in your relationship, and to have the other person have like a totally different idea. Uh, okay, moving through these, I'm gonna embarrass myself on this one. Charlotte D. Mbois, who plays Colleen, the oh, head of the dance program. Mbois, uh-huh. I think. She is an actual Broadway legend. Oh. She was on Broadway in uh, the aforementioned Cats, Chicago, A Chorus Line, and Pippin, among others. Holy hell. She has Whoa. also been married to Terrence Mann for 25 years. And st- still is? 
Yeah, it still is. How did they get her in this movie? I don't well, understand. Hot dog. <laughs> I liked their relationship a lot. It felt very accurate to me of like the mentor who is high up at the company, <laughs> but is also the only person who knows who you are in the company. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That moment where she's like, can I have a job at the dance company, like in the company? I think I deserve it. I think I'm doing the thing. And she's like, no. And she says, well, I'm just proud of myself for asking. That was <laughs> such something that Caroline would do. <laughs> like, I, that it was like, wow. Okay. Shout out to Caroline. I'm glad that she, that that, <laughs> I think she handled that. I think Francis actually handled that very well because mm-hmm. I, couldn't i do not think i have the confidence to even approach somebody one who i admire a lot and two who is very important like in in um an organization like that and be like hey i'm putting myself out there and i still feel good about putting myself out there regardless Mm -hmm. of what you say whenever Mm -hmm. i approach anybody who i consider to be like years and years ahead of me in my career and i'm just happy that they exist and are doing the work that they do i cannot form real words so shout out to francis and your sister for being able to do that (laughs) oh i meant more just like being like oh i'm proud that i did that (laughs) more than actually doing it but like yeah so being like i i did a scary thing and i'm glad Mm -hmm. that i was able to do the scary thing girl i'm not i'm not happy about doing scary things (laughs) (laughs) okay this movie features a young adam driver as we mentioned earlier we've never talked about adam driver on the pod before so just a little history here he's so tall he's so tall that's the first thing you should know um he enlisted in the marines shortly after 9-11 where he served three years uh until he was medically discharged for breaking his sternum Uh, after that he went to juilliard until graduated 2009 his first film he ever did was 2011, was Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar, wow. a movie I haven't wow. seen, but knowing uh, the director and the subject matter, I'm sure it's respectful and has aged well. <laughs> <laughs> then, then in 2012, he shot this movie, uh, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, and the TV show Girls, where oh, he's wow. Lena Dunham's Jeez. boyfriend. So, like, a huge breakout year for him. This obviously comes out the year later. I think Girls comes out in 2012. But this is sort of, like, at the early stage of his career there. What did you guys think about him as Lev in this movie? That's a good question. I <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen much of Adam Driver as far as, like, his films. I think it is incredible that the first a few years out of Juilliard which wow those are the types of films that he was able to do yeah um, I wasn't expecting him to be such a like oh I don't know how to say this respectfully but just a player kind of or just somebody who like dated around Mm. and there was always another girl like I don't know what I thought he was going to be when he showed up in the film but it was not that I don't know that that is what I consider his type to be. So every time there was a new girl in the apartment, I was like, what is going on with this man? I want to follow him around just for just for a couple of minutes just to see what he's going through right now. But mm. if his character, if his and Benji's characters were sort of like um, those people who say that, who always say that they're broke, but they are not actually broke and maybe mm-hmm. have never wanted for money in that way, I think it kind of tracks. 
I don't have mm. too much experience with those people, um, despite them being the entire population of Cornell University. Um, not the entire population, that's not fair. Uh, but I, I just don't think I was expecting to see just how he kind of like moved through the world, but also in the periphery of, of Francis's story. Yeah, you mentioned um, Benji there, who I'll just also shout out, played by Michael Zegan, another love interest of the leading character of a popular sitcom from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. He was great in that, actually. I binged Mm. all of that recently, and I was not expecting to appreciate um, the character that he played as much as I did. I think he's pretty good in this, too. I think he does a really good job of hitting on that, like, like he is a rich kid who is actually charming. So Mm. you like kind of do want to be around him, but he Mm. still has like perfectly plays like the arrogance that comes with sort of like never having to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. Like having no fear of consequence. The days where they just where um, Benji and Francis just spent all of the time on the couch, like started to make me anxious because I'm just like, I know that, at least one of you should probably be somewhere trying to earn money. And then I had to remind mm-hmm. myself that like, that is just not this character's reality at all. And it was very interesting to kind of like see not just a lazy Sunday, but like an entire lazy Sunday and maybe also a Monday. It was just, it was very strange. It was very different for me. Mm. I thought it was really interesting when he's like, you're not really poor to her. And is like, that's offensive to people who are actually poor. And he, but it's like, but he, exactly how you say he's not broke, you know, yeah, like, he's, he's so just, much richer than he's her. He's so much richer than her, but like, she's also like able to eat and like apparently able to just like dick around and spend Sundays and like not, not work and stuff. So mm, I don't yeah. know. It made me wonder if he just, if he was around other people who also are not actually poor or broke at all. And so maybe when he was when he said that to her, he didn't realize that she actually like she actually needs to find a place like she's actually technically homeless in this moment. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like her relationship with her parents, which kind of reminded me of my relationship with my parents, like they she has a safety net. It's Mm -hmm. a little strange. Like, it's not like they have money and money. But um, if she was actually in a tough spot they they sure they right. would have done whatever they could do to like help her mm-hmm. so maybe he was right about that and she isn't really poor right um, she just doesn't have an apartment and wouldn't feel comfortable asking her parents for like all of the money for like um for for like rent money so yeah, yeah that was a really interesting um uh, exchange between the two of them two things i've got about the movie here the first was just that greta wrote this for someone else to play francis oh wow and then only after they finished writing the script and were casting did Noah pick her to be in it. Hmm. Was this before they were an item? Yeah, okay. Well, I'll I'll transition over into that then. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for asking. So, we're going to talk about Noah Bombach. This dude was born and grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Lived in Brooklyn all his life. He was the son of two fiction writers who are also film critics. Whoa. He only ever wanted to be a filmmaker. So he was very much like a guy who has always been in the heart of it mm-hmm. and hit like the creative lottery in that sort of sense mm-hmm. from birth. Uh, he graduated from Vassar, like you mentioned, Chisholm, in 1991. And then his first film came out in 1995. Ooh. Some of his most well-known films are his, that first film, Kicking and Screaming, 
which is about like not being able to adjust to life after college. Mm. The Squid and the Whale, which is his commercial breakthrough, which is about his parents' divorce. The Meyerowitz Story on Netflix. And also Marriage Story from a couple of years ago, which is about his own divorce. Mm. So I think there's an interesting through line there in that a lot of his most celebrated works are like very autobiographical. Mm. He also wrote, did not direct, but wrote The Fantastic Mr. Fox and Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. <laughs> what? <laughs> so it shows that like even the most like down ass artsy dudes have to make some money sometimes. <laughs> True. True, true. Oh man. He met the actress Jennifer Jason Lee, who is the lead and the heartthrob from Fast Times in Ridgemont High, and then later in her career kind of had like a dramatic resurgence. Recently she was in The Hateful Eight and an Annihilation. Oh. Um, she's like the girl from The Hateful Eight, the main Whoa, woman. whoa. And she's the she's the woman who does the name drop of Annihilation in Annihilation, right? She's the That is correct. Okay. She's like the doctor in charge. Damn. <laughs> she's so drunk. The- she was drunk for the entirety of that movie. <laughs> she's not doing an interesting thing. She was just drunk. I have no I have no evidence to support this other than the film. But I wonder what that's like. Imagine going through the entire creative process of something and just being completely inebriated. Probably not a great choice to make, but I'd do it once. So anyway, they met in two th- they started dating in 2001, they got married in 2005, they had a kid and they divorced in 2010. Uh, 2010 is of course also when Noah Baumbach directed Greta Gerwig for the first time in uh, Greenberg. They started dating in 2011, have been dating 10 years now. Wow. And they also have a son who was born in 2019. A lot of this is sourced from the article The First Couple of Film by Tatiana Siegel in The Hollywood Reporter. An article that asks a lot of questions. I'm not going to... You know what? I'm not going to drag our podcast into such a speculative gossipy place by asking a lot of questions about the timeline of Noah Baumbach's ending his relationship with Jennifer Jason Lee and him meeting Greta Gerwig and starting his relationship. There's a lot of questions out there about that that we're not going to talk about, but some people are very interested in them. Frankly, we're above that sort of thing here. Not us, but some people are. (laughs) So that's the thing about the dude. I don't know. Have Have you guys seen any of his other movies? I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. I have not seen <laughs> Madagascar 3, unfortunately. I would, If I did decide to, you know, like just become a screenwriter and just lean into film hardcore and somebody was like, hey, you want to write one of the films in this franchise for like DreamWorks Pixar? I absolutely would. Come on. Oh, yeah, that you is, can. That is, it's of easy money. But I also think it is hilarious that he did that. <laughs> What we really got to figure out is who wrote Madagascar 2, because that's an excellent movie. Wait, you know that one of them, we've talked about this before, because one of them, I'm not sure which, was written by one of the Coen brothers. Oh, I think it is the second one. I think it is the second one, because the second one is like actually an interesting character study Mm -hmm. of all of the characters. So, oh my god, now I'm well. Now I have to go watch the second Madagascar. You you don't. You don't. I mean, whatever. Okay, the last thing I have is that 
to keep the budget down for mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. This was interesting to me. I won't dare to say if it'll be interesting to you <laughs> or to anyone listening. Um, they shot this film entirely on consumer products, like on photo cameras that also shot video that like anyone could go into a store and buy instead of on like professional film equipment. They also, this was all to keep the budget down and was done in the style of French new wave cinema from the fifties and sixties, which I think might also be part of like the black and white thing of the movie, which we Mm -hmm. haven't mentioned. Um, This was pretty wild to me. There was no composer for this film. And obviously there are a bunch of big needle drops, but there is a score there too. And I found out that the score for the movie is entirely taken. They're, they're tracks that were the scores of other films in French New Wave cinema. Whoa. Most oh. of them done by the composer uh, George Delarue. But they're all from like other films from the 50s and 60s. He has taken huh. specific tracks from other film scores and used them to score this movie. That's cool. I wonder how licensing, well, I mean, I don't understand how that sort of licensing works at all, but I wonder if that also would have made the film more expensive. Mm. I mean, I guess yeah. if they weren't very well-known films from the French New Wave, but I think it's very interesting yeah. that that was a choice that he made. I do appreciate chain, like shooting on on not like super professional high-tech film equipment just to keep the cost down. Because I, yeah. I personally am kind of tired of this idea that you have to break the bank a hundred times over to make any film, not even mm-hmm. like a huge feature. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. I dislike how inaccessible the film industry can be in that way. Mm-hmm. And their their point was that like by cutting the cost and all of those like parts that are like considered fundamental to some other films, they were able to shoot in New York california and in france oh wow yeah which they shot like all three on location which was pretty wild i know when they went to france me and you emmett were like okay they're they're still shooting it in new york like no way we see an exterior shot of this right and then you do like they're really there in france and california they really did it all on this small budget so that's that's pretty cool um and and I hadn't seen it before but now that you mention it the similarities between this film and the 400 blows are actually run really deep okay uh (laughs) all right so now's the part of the podcast uh where we ask our distinguished guest who was the protagonist in this film and what did they want oh my god um the protagonist of the film was francis okay uh she wanted she did not want an apartment as badly as as i personally think (laughs) She should have wanted, but she wanted. She wanted to um, continue to have a deep, fulfilling relationship with her best friend, um, and also make strong strides within her uh, modern dance career. Um, and also had no problem letting people know that that was what she wanted, which I thought was was very interesting and honestly like courageous. Of the character i think again it's very it's hard for me personally to like be your to be my full self 100 percent, like regardless of who i'm around so even though it was a little concerning at times watching her do that i also thought that it was really interesting and a great strength for that character 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's Francis. I don't I don't have a good take on what she wants. I think that's hard. Like I don't think I think all of the Gerwig movies we've watched so far have been sort of about these characters who like don't know what they want mm-hmm. and are like stumbling their way through life until they get to some sort of place where they like get whatever they've been missing, you know. So I don't even really know what she's actively pursuing the whole time. I think there's maybe something about... There's definitely something about being accepted by others, right? Because she's, like, constantly lying and bending over backwards to make it seem like she's in a better place than she is. Yeah. Like, to everyone, Mm. she's sort of lying about how well things are going for her and how well she's doing. So I feel like there's something there. And obviously, I think the central relationship of the movie is... Sophie, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she just wants to live with Sophie. Maybe it starts with her like losing the important thing, and then it sort of ends with her realizing she doesn't need it mm-hmm. in some sort of way. What did you think, Emmett? Well, I definitely, I, I agree. I think the protagonist is Francis. Um, I feel like there's something to the fact that the last thing that happens is like her dance recital of her own choreography, mm. which is really mm-hmm. interesting. And it's like, I'm sorry, just to break out of this for a second. The, 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 how many times have we seen that friggin' dance choreography that they do, though? Right? Like, it's it's like classic level Very one modern. Uh, modern dance choreographer. My first show, uh, yeah. but whatever, uh, I couldn't do it. So, but that's the details. This movie is true. It's true. It's true. It, is, it right. gets those details dead right. But there's down to like how she is up in the sound booth, like freaking out about yes. things. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And there's one man who tells her ten seconds before showtime how to operate the lights. Oh my god! I was <laughs> like, like, is something bad gonna happen? This man—he's not gonna stay <laughs> and help her out. Yeah. That's showbiz, baby. <laughs> I think she wants to be an artist in her own eyes. Mm. I think she wants to have done the thing that for her will be like, yes, I've done it. And I don't think she knows what that is at the beginning, but I think that's where she gets to by the end. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's my, that's my take. And that like doing her own show with her own choreography and is like, as she's stringing in and whatever it is, all of her friends come to see it. Like, she has this moment. Her teacher comes and says, I think it was really good. Like, Mm. all of the things that she could possibly want happen. And then the actual conflict that Chisholm has been worried about the whole time gets resolved, like, kind of (laughs) off screen of, like, oh, and she got an apartment. Amazing. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now's the next segment, beloved by our listener. Uh, Greta Off Without You, where we rank all of the boyfriends that she has in this movie and say, which is the boyfriend? Well, we don't, we're not going to rank them, but we're just say, which is the boyfriend that you would date of the boyfriends that she had. So, um, Chisholm, you can go first here. Wait, so should, should we rank, should we list oh, them? Oh, off? we need to list them, but I don't remember what all of their names are. Okay. Well, I have a few fringe ones. I don't remember the names at all. Okay. But there's the first boyfriend. Uh huh. Every cat needs a cat buddy. That's okay. guy number one. Okay. <laughs> There's Adam Driver, who's uh-huh. like the second suitor as Lev. Uh-huh. Um, there's Benji, who she never has a real relationship with, but is always sort of like into her mm-hmm. in a certain sort mm-hmm. of way. They're very on and off and who's pursuing. Um, I would also like to submit here 
Patch, Sophie's boyfriend, okay. who isn't her suitor, yeah. but is a suitor, uh-huh. and also has a moment with Francis. Just a small moment, but when when she's like, I like you, Patch, and he's like, I like you too. Yeah. Um, mm. So I'm going to submit him. I'm also going to submit the like nice guy who talks to her at the awkward dinner. As just like another uh, man yeah. who gives her the time of oh, day yeah, is like true. kind of a big part of one scene in this movie. Yeah, and so I would say, kind. yes, and who lets her stay at his apartment in well, France because he's oh, got a, yeah. his his wife or fiance has a kid on the way, and he's like very clearly like flirting with this younger woman at dinner, and it's very strange. Oh my god, I did not. I didn't think about it like that either, but that's that's <laughs> true. I mean, I think that's a, a part of what's going on. And like her, his fiance, girlfriend, wife gives him a, oh, yeah. s- a bad doesn't look. want anything doesn't to do want with anything Francis. to do with her at all. Does not want her going to that Paris apartment. Uh, I almost thought that we were going to see her and him having a fling in Paris, you know, like all of that, but we didn't. So mm. whatever. She but, really went all the way to Paris and slept the whole time. So and wild. then flew all the way back for a meeting she could have rescheduled uh, at any point. Yes. And almost met the love of her life or the oh, rich yeah. friend or whatever mm-hmm. that yeah. she like messed the schedules with. Yeah. Anyway, those are the five I would submit. Who would you guys who do you guys think in real life you would end up dating? In real life, I would have to go with Benji. Because nothing, mm. <laughs> nothing really happens, which is, I think, how I prefer <laughs> my relationships with men to go. <laughs> but he was like, they genuinely got along. Um, and he always seemed like a little interested in her, even if he was kind of like arrogant with how he like went about it and would interact with her at times. Um, but mm-hmm. I also think that like they they could have had uh, like a legit relationship, whether it was romantic or platonic. So I appreciated how they like played off of each other, and that is something that I would prefer as far as relationships with men go. I don't remember the name of the first boyfriend. I don't think I ever will. I all I can remember is the cat and the apartment. <laughs> and I just. I'm really glad that we got that guy out of the way within the first like five minutes of the movie. <laughs> that yeah. that really felt like her saying goodbye to the guy from the last movie. To the to the guy mm. from uh Oh interesting. You, you know what I mean? Like not the same actor or anything, but similar relationship it felt like. Uh-huh. Wade, who would you who would you pick out of those five? I mean, I was very charmed by Adam Driver when he's wearing the hat and he gives like this smile that is so impossibly wide. Yes. After she dances the dance, I was so charmed by him. But I don't think that he's like really who I would end up with. I'm not totally sure. I will also say I understand like the appeal of Patch. I understand that thing where you're like, uh, I hate everything about this person and they're interested in me. What do I do? <laughs> you know, that's, I don't have, maybe the guy at the dinner is the close, felt the closest to some of the Patch relationships. Patch also had a lot of money, Wade. So, you know, yeah, yeah. keep that in mind. 
Well, I think that's he's like a rich Republican, but he's actually nice if you get to know him. Like that's what they would say about him. Uh-huh. And you're like, I hate everything about this guy, but he is really nice to me and into me. Like I understand that sort of hatred compelling relationship aspect. <laughs> I think I would go with Lev. He's cute, he's sweet, uh he sleeps around a lot, but he has a motorcycle. He has a motorcycle. That's cool. Oh, that's right. He's got a cool hat. Uh-huh. I don't know. He's nice. He's nice about her being horrible on the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he he doesn't push was it. genuinely nice about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he clearly does. He clearly wants something that she doesn't. But, like, he he goes to put the one hand on the shoulder. And she, like, does the, like, no beep. And then, like, he never, he doesn't even, like, for a second try anything the rest of the movie, you know? Yeah. So uh, give him respect for that, at least. In terms of uh, on-screen boyfriends who don't quite make it. He's on the high, the high ranking. Um, well, that's who, that's who I'd go with. Now we move on to the segment that I know you're all most excited for out there. All our listeners love this segment. It is called Everyday Chalamet. And every day we dissect what Timothy Chalamet was doing in this movie and how his performance was. Chisholm, what do you think of young Timothy Chalamet's performance in this film? Are you joking? Where was he? He is joking. I would also like to ask the question, where would where would he be? Who would he have played in this movie if it was five years later? Mm. Maybe I think he would have killed boyfriend number one. Oh, oh yeah. No. He would have. He would have. I think he could I also think... do Benji. That's... Mm. I think he could... He could do Benji, but he might not be as likable as mm. Michael Zegan is as Benji. True. Um, mm. But I also... I really would have appreciated seeing him as, like, the star, but also the only male dancer in the dance company who mm. is just mm-hmm. a very big deal and is very... Who is just, like, too cool for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he was really good as the kid who's singing in the Universalist Unitarian Church. <laughs> I think he was excellent. He kills it. I mean, he just gives you what you want. Every single time he's on screen, he's he glows. That's it. that's it for every day. Every day, Chalamet. Moving on to our next segment, and this segment is the quiz. So, uh, to give us a little bit of back oh, background on the quiz, this movie. Uh, we we talked about it. Francis Ha. It's in black and white. Talked about it a little bit. It's it's it falls in the great tradition of black and white films made since color film was available. Uh, other films on that list include Roma, a Forty Year Old Version, which is a movie we talked about in our Christmas episode we loved from this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Mank, a movie that came out this year. The Artist, a movie which won Best Picture, and I think we've talked about it a little bit before. Frankenweenie. The Lighthouse, a movie that Wade and I adore. Good Night and Good Luck, a movie I've never seen, but which is supposedly good. She's Gotta Have It, uh, Persepolis, Raging Bull, Schindler's List, Sin City. These are the the great pantheon of black and white films made after 1970. All right. Now we're going to talk about some other (laughs) black and white films. Maybe some ones you haven't heard of. That's what this quiz is about. In this quiz, I'm going to read you two film names, and you're going to have to tell me which one was a film that Greta Gerwig was an actor in, 
And which one is a film from the 2010s that was in black and white? Okay. Okay. All right. First up, Dharma Guns or Yeast? (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) Was Greta Gerwig in Dharma Guns? I can't tell you the answer to that until Wade also guesses, but... That was also going to be my guess. I've never heard of either of these, though. Mm -mm. All right. You're both wrong. She was in Yeast. Oh. Okay. Do I want to know what the film Yeast is about? I don't I don't know what it's about. I assume that you do not. It's gonna keep me up at night. <laughs> um, okay. The House of the Devil or The Bunny Game? I hope Greta Gerwig was in the Bunny Game. Um, I believe that I know that Greta Gerwig was in the House of the Devil. Alright, we got Wade with one point. She was in fact in the House of the Devil. Okay. <laughs> Next up. It's one of the um, mumble gores you mentioned. Oh, really? Oh, that's exciting. Next up, Keyhole or Northern Comfort? I'm going to go with Keyhole. Keyhole for Greta Gerwig being in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Northern Comfort does sound a lot more black and white, so I will I will do the same. You're both wrong. Okay, okay. Oh <laughs> Here we go. Let's keep it going. To Roam with Love century of birthing both very black and white sounding titles yes i am leaning towards greta being in century of birthing uh i'm gonna go with two rome with love then i guess we got another point for wade oh my so god falling behind here okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna toss y'all an easy one here jackie or oh boy oh boy I would. I was not an easy one to me. Uh, I guess Jackie then. Wade, you are correct. Escape <laughs> okay. from tomorrow. Ooh. Or Eden. I don't know what any of these movies are. It's fine. Um, Escape yeah, from tomorrow either. then. Uh, I'm going to say Eden. Okay, Wade, this, this, this trick of only picking what Chisholm doesn't pick is we're still working out for you. Uh, we got 4-0. <laughs> Uh, maybe you should perhaps. second guess your first impulse <laughs> that's okay. a good that's a good idea all right jealousy or baghead i know this one so i will, okay i will go second okay oh god from my research oh yeah yeah uh, my first instinct is baghead I'm gonna go with jealousy even though baghead seems much more and I know that I am already incorrect. <laughs> okay. Wait. Um, I believe back. All right, we're, the just, we're just gonna we're just gonna take that one off because Wade already knew it. I did because Wade did. already knows. So we're not gonna count that one. Damsels in distress or a girl walks home alone at night. Okay, I think I'm gonna go with damsels in distress. I have heard of a girl walks home alone at night. I think is it a vampire movie? I'm I not sure. Might, I know it's a horror movie. I don't know yeah. if it's a vampire one. I've never heard it in connection with Greta, so I'm gonna also go damsels in distress. Okay, but... got a point for each. Nice. <gasps> uh, oh got three more, so this is really just for fun here. <laughs> fun. <laughs> uh, the humbling or. 
Embrace of the Serpent. Someone someone made a movie called Embrace of the Serpent <laughs> in black and white? They thought that needed some prestige? <laughs> okay. So you have you you're aware of the humbling then already as a Greta Gerwig movie? No, I wasn't. Oh, well, you sounded like you did. You said it was in black and white, Embrace of the Serpent. It was. I think uh, it was outraged. Yeah, sorry. I briefly forgot that these weren't all black and white movies. <laughs> me too. <laughs> now I remember the game that we're playing. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let me pitch you the last one. <laughs> Lola Versus is the name of the first movie. The name of the other movie is codependent lesbian space alien seeks same. Uh, that's a good title. It is a great what title. In the world, why does that actually sound familiar to me? Um, I think okay. I think Lola versus is is one that I have actually heard of. So I'm gonna go with that one. Um, and then I'll go with the other one. Weird, the weird title. Okay, sounds like a weird movie she would have been in. Well, Chisholm, you got the last question correct, so that means you have won the game. Oh my <laughs> <Wow>. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, boy. oh, my God. Thank you for taking uh, pity on me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, all right. So after that terrifying quiz that I came up with in the last, well, actually in the first three minutes of us recording this, really, um, <laughs> let's move on to our final question of the evening. Chisholm, who is your MVP O-T-F-H, your most valuable player other than Francis Haas. Sorry, that was a journey. Oh, another question that I was worried about because I don't know that I found any of the characters super likable. I also couldn't Mm. remember any of their names, but now that we've gone through the rest of the cast, Thank you, Wade. I think maybe Colleen. Um, I appreciated that relationship mm. as one as like a potential mentor kind of who like at first didn't seem to be very supportive, but eventually like I think it was clear that she was genuinely trying to help Francis out. Um, not everybody can be, you know, like a huge star and, and break out um, immediately, but she did really help her try to figure out a more realistic career path that would also kind of be satisfying um i think i also appreciated colleen because in my our own uh post-grad artistic experience i that's something that i've been looking for and have yet to find Mm -hmm. really so Mm -hmm. i appreciated colleen being there and um kind of being like a genuinely well like a well-intentioned character and not just someone to like throw a wrench in francis's way Wait, mm. who's your MVP, O-T-F-H? Friends, never before has a character walked on screen and I've said from the second seeing them, that's the MVP. That's my MVP right there. It was it was a, a bullet straight to the head. I'm referring, of course, to Maya Kazan as Caroline, Benji's strange girlfriend who he's on a date to a house party with for the one minute scene where they meet Francis in the street. I thought she was incredible. She is. She's so good in that scene. She has one of the best line readings I've ever heard, which is where Francis. Oh, she says like, why were you in Paris? And Francis goes on this like long 
explanation of why she was there and why she had to come back. And um, Caroline just goes, I don't know you. She's <laughs> <laughs> so good. She's so funny in that scene. So, yeah, she's great. Emmett, your MVP? Ooh, it's hard. It's hard. But I do think it's probably, I don't remember her name, but the character who she's just in the hallway with at, at Vassar. And who's crying? The young? Yeah, the young Wait. one. No, not the kid who's crying, but like her coworker, her co-worker who's, who's much young younger and just like over it and just like makes Oof. her feel bad about things. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like yep, yep, I, I know you. I see you. <laughs> You drive me, you, you may, uh, there's a kid who I worked with at this bagel shop and he was like, yeah, when I, when I met you, I was like, yeah, you could be anywhere between 22 and 45. And I was like, in, in fact, I am somewhere between those two ages, <laughs> but I wow. don't think you understand how much that hurts. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't like that at all. I don't like how that feels at all. Uh, yeah, that, that character really it's just another one of those like very specific, very real moments. Um, I love it. Chisholm, do you have any plugs uh, anywhere? The any projects you'd like to plug, or any um, where that uh, listeners can find you or your work? Oh, that is. I'm glad that you asked. Um, so, <laughs> interestingly, in the middle of this pandemic nonsense, my siblings and I decided to start a creative agency called um, Shea Awache. Shea is in like French for house and Awache in our, uh, as in our last name. You can find us on right now, just on Instagram, um, C-H-E-V-A-W-A-C-H-I-E. We're taking turns um, posting about our individual like creative projects and specifications. There are some larger projects that we're working on that are on the way. But if you want to keep up with us until then, check out our very funny reels and and tiktoks and uh, afrobeats playlists um follow us Ooh. on instagram and keep up with uh what we're doing sweet well that's awesome thank you for sharing that's uh so cool next week please join us as we discuss mistress america the 2015 noah Baumbach feature um greta gerwig is also in this one and also helped to write it mm-hmm. uh, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Mistress America, a mm. film that I never even knew existed, but isn't that the mm. way it is with so many of these, including dark Phoenix. All right. Well, this final has been thoughts? great. Should we do oh, some yeah, final any, thoughts? Any, oh yeah, we should, we should. Any final thoughts? It's not because, on the running order. I need to add it. Yeah, I forget no. it every week. Okay. Any final thoughts, anything else burning desire to say? Honestly, no, I'm just really glad she got that apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Wade, final thoughts? Um, this movie depicts like a very specific feeling, which I had never seen de- depicted mm. in any media before, which is the feeling of hearing news about someone who you were very close with in college, just like from someone random who doesn't isn't really that close to them at all. But like hearing mm. that someone who you used to like see every day and and know everything about, like hearing some important life news regarding them just from like someone random. Mm. And I feel like that's just sort of maybe a part of growing old, but it did make me think of times mm. that's happened in, in my real life. And I think this movie like gets the feeling of that like very right. 
Mm-hmm. Lots of just like I said, like lots of specifics in this movie that like really got to me. I mean, final thoughts on Francis Ha. My final thoughts are about young Adam Driver, who I didn't get the chance to talk about earlier. Oof. Which I think, you know, he's been in some some stuff, a couple of movies since this movie that were maybe perhaps more commercially successful. He's always playing this brooding, like, kind of jerk of a character in those movies mm. that we're not going to talk about, but that are more commercially successful than this film. And I think he would just, you know, do better in life. He has such a sweet smile. I just wish he would smile that's my final thought <laughs> uh stay frosted everybody thank you for listening to cinema bums once again for some reason <laughs> cinema bums is a production of dkg podcast it is created and produced by wade lawrence holloman and me emmett temple wade also edits and mixes this podcast our theme music is by zane holloman who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by autumn beckner our social media is managed by laura bennett If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.